Okay, good evening everyone. If you'd like to uh, turn to Psalm 24. And uh, before I start, I'm just going to uh, pray again. Dear Father, we just um, uh, again once more pray that you would speak to us through your word, um, that we would uh, be amazed by who you are and the work that you've done, uh, be amazed by the gospel, and we ask for your, for your spirit to, to be with us and help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So, I was looking at this psalm, there's two, two main questions that this psalm asks us. Uh, the first one found in verse 3, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? And uh, another question later on, on who is the king of glory? So these are two, two big questions in the psalm. So I wanted to look at that this evening. But before um, we get into the, those two specific questions, I think it would be good to, to look at uh, the psalm itself and the context um, and uh, a little bit about that. So the psalm is split into three main categories, or th- sorry, three sections, so verses 1 to 2 uh, being one section where we see that uh, the creator, God, um, maker of all, has um, founded everything and made everything. And then in verses 3 to 6, uh, the first question is asked on who, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and uh, the answer comes that um, clean hands and a pure heart are required and the, the, the result of this is blessing from God. And then the last section, 7 to 10, is um, a picture of a, a victorious king, uh, the Lord, coming back to um, a city and um, shouting up to the gates to to lift themselves up and um, um, to be opened because he's coming. So we have these three, three main sections and I thought it would be useful to uh, look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6 where uh, it's believed that this, this psalm is, is based on. Um, so 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the Ark of the Covenant coming to Jerusalem for the first time. Um, so... I'd like to turn there and read uh, a portion of that and then just look at the, the similarities in the, the content of this psalm and, and some of the things uh, happening in that passage. So that is page 309 in the Church Bible, if you'd like to turn there. So page, page 309, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and prior to this, uh, Jerusalem has, has been captured, and um, David and his men are now off to go and get the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. So I'll read from verse 1. It says, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from um, Bala of Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart 
and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah and Io, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Io was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs, with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled, and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of the irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark. Then David was angry. The Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzar, and to this day the place is called Perez Uzar. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, Edom, the Gittite, from three months, for, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. So here we have um, this, uh, this big victory that Israel have had. Um, David's been leading the army and um, God had given their enemies into, into David's hands and they had um, a victory, they had captured Jerusalem and as a result of this they want to retrieve the ark and, and bring it into the city to um, place it in the tabernacle. So David has this big procession of 30,000 men that he, he takes with him and they're coming into Jerusalem with the ark and um, the expectation is that the, the presence of the Lord is going to come to Jerusalem um, and it's almost got a, a finality about it that the enemies are defeated um, David is, is reigning, he's king and the, the ark is coming to Jerusalem and God is going to dwell there and there will be a, a, a righteous rule over that part of the world and the ark actually gets delayed for three months at Obed-Edom's house because um, Uzzah had touched the ark and um, because of the holiness of God and the uh, the sacredness of the ark uh, he was he was killed god's wrath had been um, uh, kindled against against him because of that because uh, of his irreverent act which uh, really highlights the the holiness of god um, a simple thing like that it doesn't seem uh, anything in terms of um, uh, a normal a normal object but this was the ark which was uh, was special um, and it was it was it was holy because um, it was something which uh, was supposed to be where God where God was dwelling um, and was placed in the in the holy place in the tabernacle. So some of the so the similarities similarities we see between 
this in Psalm 24. I'm just going to turn back there. So there's a, a, an acknowledgement that uh, God is very holy and that, that uh, by ourselves we can't just approach God. Um, the question is asked, who, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And um, We see that, that the fact that um, Uzzah was, was killed um, for, for, this, for this act, that um, only the, the high priest after ceremonial cleansing could could approach the, the ark on the Day of Atonement um, in, in the normal case. So uh, to approach God, um, a, a holiness and a, cleanse, uh, a cleansing and a cleanliness is, is required. And also the, the ark brings blessing. So we see as the, the ark was at Obed-Edom's house, um, his house and all that he had was blessed. And uh, Psalm 24 in verse 5 says that those who um, do ascend the hill of the Lord and um, can stand in the holy place will receive blessing. So there's a blessing that comes with the presence of God. And there's a, uh, a great uh, multitude of people um, as we look at um, section seven, uh, verses seven to ten in the third section, uh, that we see that the King of Glory is the Lord of Hosts, and there's this big um, celebration and procession and um, cries of opening the gates and lifting up the heads, um, and we see that David has comes with thirty thousand men, which isn't a small number, and they're they're marching up towards Jerusalem. So there's a big uh, procession of people, um, a big celebration after a, after a victory. And in verse 8, it says that the Lord is strong and mighty, mighty in battle, saying that, uh, that this Lord is a, um, a victorious, victorious Lord, victorious over his enemies. So there is some similar similarities here between the two passages. And it's, it's believed that this psalm was either sung specifically at the time when the ark was brought in or possibly in remembrance of that occasion, uh, remembering the, the, the holiness of God. Um, and also the, um, the, the amazing, amazing thing it is that, that God actually came and dwelled uh, in Jerusalem. And, and in the context of the, the first two verses, uh, I think it shows that although, although God was dwelling in Jerusalem, and um, that, that that was where, where he was going to be with his people, he wasn't contained by that that the earth is the Lord's and everything that's created belongs to the Lord. And so he doesn't uh, live in the ark, he doesn't live in the, in the tabernacle or the temple and uh, he isn't confined by the city walls. Um, he created all those things and um, I think that's the, the context that we see this in, that, that, that the Lord is coming to dwell in the city um, but he's the Lord, the creator that's coming to dwell and it's, it's an amazing and and how can we how can we approach him this this holiness? So this the the context of the psalm, I believe. And um, I want to look at uh, the two questions that we mentioned at the beginning. The first one being, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? So who is qualified to do this? 
And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can say that, um, that we, don't, we don't feel qualified. Um, do we have clean hands and a pure heart that we can say, yes, I will, I will ascend? And uh, for the Israelites to have gone up to the, the tabernacle uh, to worship on, on a Saturday morning, then they would have needed to be um, clean according to the law. But I think it's, it's a reminder that, um, that being in the worship um, with, with the other Jews is, is not enough, that there's um, uh, an inward, inward work as well as an outward work that's, um, that's required, that it's not just if we, if we keep the rules and we'll turn up on a Saturday or for us on a Sunday, that um, we won't automatically be blessed by God just because we're there. Um, that God's blessing doesn't just happen by osmosis. Not that the Jews would have known what osmosis was, but um, I can explain later. <laughs> um, but be, just being there wasn't enough. That there was there's an engaging, um, and so clean hands um, I think suggests a uh, an innocence in in action, and the in the outward action, and and a pure heart is. Uh, showing that their their inward um, motives are, are worthy and and pure, so there's a, um, a a striving for the character of God and the goodness of God and the purity of God, which which allows them to to go to worship and be blessed by God. But there is also another uh, side to it where the only person who is truly qualified. Um, to do this is, is Jesus. He's the only person who was really, really pure, really clean. He was perfect. And um, we, can't, we can't achieve that kind of perfection, but we read this and we read verse 5, um, which says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Um, and we know that, that that's what we want to experience. Um, we know that's what we need. But we aren't we aren't perfect. So, I wanted to look at um, just a few verses um, from the New Testament. Um, so you don't you don't have to turn there. I will read them. But James four eight says, "Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, double minded. You double minded." So here James is telling us that we need to we need to wash our hands. We need to be, have clean hands. We need to purify our hearts, um, and uh, the accusation of being double-minded suggests that the people he was talking to um, were affirming of, of Christian things. They, they believed, um, and they, they saw it was good, but they maybe had um, things in their, in their life which were drawing them into the world, um, and there's a uh, a double-mindedness, they're being torn in two directions. And so James is saying that we shouldn't be like that. We should, we should wash our hands, we should purify our hearts and cut off those things which are, which are holding us back. And then in 1 John 3 verse 3, it says, um, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. And uh, the hope that they're talking about is um, the hope of being um, changed into the likeness of Jesus when he comes again. And so 
if we can say, yes, Jesus is coming again and we will be like him when he comes, um, then we have the same hope and we should purify ourselves. And then the last one is 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So he's saying that out of a reverence for God and because of the promises they have, that uh, they should be purifying their hearts and um, removing everything that's contaminating their body and spirit. So I think this, this idea of, of cleansing and uh, purifying ourselves is, is all through the Bible. Um, and it's something that we, we need to take seriously. Uh, it's a challenge. Uh, we need to ask ourselves, uh, what are we doing? What have we done this year so far? Um, if anything, to to really to really look at that, and I think there's uh, the the regular things that we um, would um, kind of aspire to do every day, such as, as reading our Bible and praying, which is is purifying to us, and spending time with other other believers is is purifying to us and and edifying, and it's 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 this that we need to pursue as well as you know looking at um, the areas where where we do need to cut things off and change and seek to to cleanse ourselves and um, to wash our hands and have a, a purer heart so that we can experience in in a greater way the blessing of the Lord um, and vindication from God our Savior. Um, because it, it, that really is it is a blessing, isn't it? We all we all know that the only true satisfaction we have is with God. Um, so, one John one says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, and it's that that purifying and the continual um, humble uh, repentance, which is uh, what I think this this verse is. These verses in um, four, three and four are, are speaking about that we we ascend the hill of the Lord and we approach God uh, through repentance and cleansing our hands and having a pure heart. And this is only made available to us because Jesus Christ, who truly had the clean hands and a pure heart, was able to uh, win that salvation for us through his obedience and I also thought it's worth remembering that as we as we examine ourselves and we we feel conviction of sin um, which I hope I hope we all do at times that uh, this conviction is is meant to draw us to Christ it's conviction from the spirit then the spirit is working in us to to draw us back to Christ and if this conviction is not drawing us to Christ and is making us feel guilty and turning us away, then uh, we need to consider whether we're actually being tempted and Satan is using that to draw us away. And so I think it's, it's uh, important that as we, as we look at ourselves and um, feel the conviction of sin that we remember that uh, the purpose is to bring us back to Christ and a closer relationship um, and, and anything else is, is not of the Spirit. So, I want to look at uh, the second question, which is, who is the king 
of glory. So this one seems like it might be a little bit easier to answer. Um, so who is the king of glory? Um, says he's the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. So here we have um, an amazing picture. Uh, we have this king who is victorious in battle. He's the Lord of hosts and he's coming back to a city and there are gates and ancient doors and these gates and ancient doors seem to be obstructing the way. So a command goes out for the, um, uh, the ancient doors. It says, um, be lifted up your ancient doors and the heads of the gates need to be lifted up as well. So the head of the gate, I presume, is the top of the gate, if it's the head. And the ancient doors, I think, um, are doors that have been there a long time, if they're described as being ancient. And somehow these things seem to be obstructing the way. So I think what this is, is saying to us is that um, all the things that have come previously have been able to fit through these things without any problem. But now the existing infrastructure is not sufficient because something is coming which is much greater and much bigger than has come before. And so the ancient doors which have uh, always been fine up until now are no longer uh, any good and they need to be lifted up out of the way because king of glory is coming um, and it's, it's an amazing amazing picture so this king of glory is a warrior he's mighty, uh, he's victorious and he's the leading a host of soldiers so I think this, this picture does fit with uh, what we looked at in Samuel uh, with David uh, victorious from battle uh, that the, the victory God had given him with his uh, host of, of 30,000 men and the ark with them and the presence of the Lord all going up to, to Jerusalem. So you can imagine that um, uh, when they were singing and playing all those instruments, that these were the kind of things that they were, they were singing, out, that, singing about, that uh, something great was coming to Jerusalem and that the gates needed to be flung open, everything needed to be moved out of the way because uh, the Lord, um, the Creator, is coming to, to dwell in Jerusalem. And it's an amazing picture. So um, whoever's manning the gates um, cries out, you know, who is, who is the king of glory? And then all the people and the hosts, of the, uh, the soldiers, they cry out, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Um, so this great uh, exciting procession of music and shouting. Um, and I think it's, it's an amazing scene. And I think it, it's pointing towards uh, a more amazing scene in, in their future and in our past. Um, yeah, a, a more amazing scene in their, in their future when uh, God himself would come to earth as a man. Uh, he would come to Jerusalem and uh, in the person of Jesus. And we see, I think, a very, very small shadow of that in uh, when we remember Palm Sunday, when Jesus came to Jerusalem and um, the palm trees were waved, the palm leaves were waved, and blankets put down, and everyone shouted Hosanna. Um, but really, the uh, the real victory that Christ had was victory over 
over death. Sorry, I have lost a page of notes. I've got it. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) So, Jesus comes to earth and he he has this this amazing victory over death. Um, He comes to earth and he does battle with his enemies. He fulfills the law for living a perfect life. And he allows the Jews to crucify him in obedience to his father. And he does something which is so much more amazing and mysterious than anything that's ever been done before. Uh, and anything that's ever happened before. And then after three days, he rises from the dead. And I wanted to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. On page 1155. says but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man for as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made all will be made alive but each in his own turn Christ the first fruits then when he comes those who belong to him then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then later on in this chapter we have uh, that verse 53 which says, uh, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So Christ has the... um, the first fruits of the victory over over death itself and um, after rising from the dead uh, Jesus spent a short time with his disciples and then he ascends to heaven and what more appropriate than um, to hear the call for the gates to be lifted up um, the, the ancient doors to be lifted up and the heads of the gates to be lifted up because the king of glory is coming back and um the uh, amazing victory that Christ had on earth over death is celebrated in heaven. And then in the fullest sense, I think after the, the second coming, you know, the ultimate fulfillment of Christ um, in this psalm, returning home after the final battle and the ultimate victory, when all of our bodies are raised, if we, if we believe and um, put our faith in Christ, then our bodies are raised on the last day and uh, death is finally put to death. And we ascend uh, victorious with our King, uh, Jesus Christ. And then the question comes back, who is the King of glory? And we will all know because we will all have been raised and we'll know that Jesus is uh, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. And we'll know that not because we've read the psalm, but because we've seen it. We've seen that he's mighty in battle because he's been victorious and that uh, he is the, um, the Lord Almighty. He's the King of glory. And we can all say that together. And uh, the, the, the magnitude and the uh, excitement of that scene 
um, should, should lift our hearts to, to worship God. And so I'm going to finish there and we will sing our, our last hymn.